This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 136. And the quote of the day is from John Berryman, who said, We must travel in the direction of our fears. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if you're looking to take your career to the next level and you're sort of struggling with which direction to go, how to connect with people, how to get endorsements, how to get different gigs and touring and all of that stuff, hit me up. I'm at drummersresource.com forward slash career. And there's two ways that we can work together. We can work on on a one-on-one basis over the phone, or we can do a four-month intensive that I do that's a little bit more in-depth. So check everything out at drummersresource.com forward slash career. And that'll tell you everything that I offer, how we can work together and, and what steps you need to take to connect with me. Now, the interview that I have today is Sean Thomas, and this interview is a little bit different. You know, once in a while, I get people on here who who uh, you know aren't drummers and aren't necessarily musicians. The unique story about Sean is he was a musician, and he toured all over the country and was in a boy band when he was younger and did a six-week stint at MSG at Madison Square Garden. He talks all about that. But The main reason that I brought him on was because he sort of drifted through life for a while and then at around 32 decided that he was going to make something of his life and started this business and sold it for multi, multi millions of dollars. Now, the the story is and the lesson in this story isn't necessarily about the money, but this is more about goal setting, achieving and 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 business because as a musician as an independent musician we are businessmen and women and we have to understand that side of things and we also have to understand the goal setting achievement and all of that stuff so these are some of the people that I like to study because not only not only do I like to study the drummers but I like to study other successful people to get their lessons and see how they did it because everybody has a different path to to their success so that's why I'm bringing you this interview and like I said you know I like to throw a different one in here once in a while. So I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com or leave comments on Facebook, you know, on Instagram, on Twitter. And just let me know because I'm not going to do a ton of these, but once in a while, I like to throw them in there just to open up your mind a little bit, give you a little bit different perspective of success. And you don't have to always just follow the drummers or just follow musicians because you can learn from everyone. And and I always love learning and I always love bringing new people to you guys and, and sort of opening your minds a little bit if you're not already hip to this kind of stuff. So without further ado, let's get into this interview with Sean Thomas. Sean, what's happening, man? Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Good to be here. I got to tell you, I follow, uh, I follow all of your, all of your accounts, man. I follow you on Instagram and on, on Periscope and, and Facebook and all that stuff. And you have a huge following, but the thing that's really refreshing is you're down to earth, down to earth, humble. And you, you, you respond every time I've ever sent you a message or anything, you always respond, which is cool. You know, it's kind of hard to go under the name Ask a Millionaire because I feel it always gives me this sense of obligation to respond to every message that somebody sends. Right. So if I, don't, if I don't respond, you know, I feel like I'm not deserving of the Ask a Millionaire brand. So we really pride ourselves here now that I'm building a team on making sure that we get back to everybody, uh, no matter what the question is. Which is great, man. And and I uh, 
I get a ton of emails myself. So I know what it's like. I know how time consuming it is when you're getting, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 emails a day. And it's like, and responding to all of them. So I, I applaud that effort. And we're going to get all into your your career as a businessman and now with, with the stuff that you're doing with Ask a Millionaire. But I want to go back a little bit because if I'm not mistaken, you were in the music business, signed a record deal, and you were in like a boy band, weren't you? I was, yeah, back when I was 21 years old. Nice. So let's talk about that a little bit because I love hearing the transition from that to where you are now. Well, you know, it's one of those things of – being an entrepreneur and being an artist are very similar. You know, there's just different ways to approach the monetization, if you will, of that career as an artist. And because as a business person, it's pretty laid out that you're in business normally for profit and you're going to grow a product or a service. But when your product or service is yourself, it's a little bit different. So there's a lot of, a lot of artists that I know over the years that are way more talented than I ever would be or could be, yet they're not the most and, you know, efficient at being business people and monetizing their talents. So when I was 18, I got into, um, well, actually, actually, it was when I was in high school, I got in a choir for the Easy A, and there were lots of cute girls. <laughs> so all of us guys that were on sports teams, you know, playing sports, we were like, we need an elective. Let's just get into choir, and we'll be able to hang out with all our cute girlfriends and things like that. And then I started to realize, wow, I actually like singing, and I'm actually pretty decent at it. Nice. So over the next couple of years, I just took more and more choir, and then I got into swing choir, which is where you kind of dance and sing at the same time. And our swing choir ended up going to California, Southern California, for a uh, competition put on by this group that's been around since the 60s called the Young Americans. Mm -hmm. And the Young Americans has spit out a lot of different talent over the decades. And while at that competition, the Young Americans held auditions for those out-of-state kids, because it's a Southern California organization, right, right. for those out-of-state out kids to audition and uh, get involved. So. My host at the time, who was taking care of our high school class, convinced me to audition. So I auditioned, and a few weeks later, they sent me a letter and said, hey, you've made it. We'd like to invite you to come down and join the Young Americans. Now, at the time, it was a non-paid gig, but they would teach you how to sing, how to dance, teach you about uh, the production of any type of concert or, or, what, or event or what have you. So we learned about sound, lighting, uh, just the whole production, which was pretty cool. So, while, so I moved to California from Alaska where I grew up. I, I graduated high school, and two weeks later, I jumped on a plane and moved down to Southern California, down to Fullerton, to move in with three other guys that were in the Young Americans. And we had a little two-bedroom apartment in Fullerton. And for the next year, you know, two years, I was in the Young Americans learning how to perform, learning how to audition, which was probably one of the greatest things I learned, which is a lot of people are talented, but they really don't know how to audition. So they really taught me how to audition. So at 20 years old, 20 or 21, I decided, okay, if now I want to reach my goals, which were my goals when I moved to California were to get a record deal, travel the country singing, getting paid for it, and to get on MTV. Those were my three goals. Now, as a young 18-year-old kid from Alaska, I didn't really realize how lofty, if you will, those goals <laughs> were. Right, right. I didn't realize there were actually a couple other people in the world that would move to California for that same goal and dream. Probably two or three other people, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it was just like in business, which we'll talk about later. It was my naivety that led me to my success. I didn't know any better. So I just said, Hey, let's just go do it. Mm -hmm. I didn't give it any thought. I just went out there and did anything and everything I could to make it happen. So my third audition, when I was 21 years old, my third audition was for this gig that I ultimately ended up getting 
which was a recording contract that had already been negotiated. It was one of those boy bands, not one that any of your audience probably would have heard of unless they were a 14-year-old girl that went to the, went to the circus when we were in the circus that year <laughs> uh, or read Tiger Beat or Teen Beat back in the day. Those would be the only part of your audience that would know who we were. Uh, so we auditioned. Uh, I got it. It was a gig with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus, Kenneth Feld of Feld Entertainment, Jeff Berry, who was a singer-songwriter singer uh, that was really big in the 60s with Dua Diddy and Chapel of Love, those songs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so him and another, those two and another guy, they, they created a company called Big Kids Entertainment, and their whole goal was to create a boy band that would travel and, uh, and try to attract the MTV audience to the circus because the circus is mainly uh, parents with their young kids. So there's this big gap of demographic that the circus was trying to appeal to. So we ended up getting this gig, traveling with the circus for an entire year, playing every major arena in the United States, including a six and a half week stint at Madison Square Garden, which was, pretty damn, which was pretty, pretty damn cool, right? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I don't care what gig it would be that to the fact that as an entertainer, entertainer, I am one, probably the only boy band in the history I was involved with that played Madison Square Garden for six and a half weeks, even though it was a circus. We still get to kind of put that on our resume, which right. is pretty damn cool. Right. So, you know, that was kind of the stint. We did it for a year. Unfortunately, the, the circus act of bringing the audience uh, to the circus did not quite work out. They were able to get us a, a lot of great press because of the, the reputation and relationship of the circus with, uh, the, with PR. But after the year was up, it was time to just kind of go the separate way. So that was my one claim to fame is that I reached the goal. And then at that age, I said, you know what? I don't really know what I want to do with the rest of my life, but let's go figure it out. So after that was done, I kind of chalked it up that I wasn't Justin Timberlake and wasn't the greatest musician in the world. And I didn't have any money, didn't have any real connections to get in the business. So I said, all right, let's go ahead and go out there and get started in the business world. So this was something that I don't want to say that, that you fell into, but it wasn't like a lifelong dream to do all this stuff. You sort of fell into it and made the best out of it and had some great success out of it and said, okay, now I'm done with this. Let me move on to the next chapter. Yeah, I started it in high school. I mean, I didn't really know much about singing or dancing until I got into high school and got into choir. And then at 17, or it actually was at, at 17 when we came down for that, for that, for the Young Americans thing. I never even thought about it. But I, but then actually, as I started to get into singing, I started watching, you know, MTV started to come out. And back in the day, MTV was absolutely amazing. You know, if you, if you wanted to, to be a singer yeah. or, or a rock star, you, you watched MTV. They actually played music then. Absolutely. And <laughs> so I just started to watch all the TV shows as a, as a high school kid that were about it. There was a show called Dance Party USA. And yeah. There was all this stuff on TV about, you know, hey, you know, get on, get on the TV, get on stage and what have you. And, and so that's where the culmination of the dream of being a performer kind of just started. And be, I think it was, like I said, it was part of that naivety of not knowing that there were kids that grew up in Los Angeles and Hollywood that were working on their talent and relationships and acting and singing and performing their whole life. Mine was just, hey, I'm in high school choir. At 18, I graduate. I moved to California. And then two years later, I've got a record deal on the largest record label in the world. I mean, I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> So You're like, why can't everybody else figure this out? This yeah. is easy. <laughs> yeah. So it's you know, I kind of the, the interesting thing is I kind of apply that principle towards everything is, you know, if you don't think about it too much and you just go for it, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, is, hey, you actually might actually get it. Right. So I think the, the negativity and the, and the fear of failure, failure, excuse me, is holding everybody back. Yeah. 
you know. So let's talk about the transition. So after you decided, okay, you're not Justin Timberlake, and you're gonna you're gonna make some different moves. Where did that road lead? Because you, the the story is um, that we're gonna get into that you had a company, started a company called Unigest, and sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars. But there was something happened. A lot happened between not singing anymore and selling the company. So let's walk down that path a little bit. Yeah, well, I wish it was hundreds of millions of dollars. That'd be better. If it was hundreds of millions, I probably wouldn't be here, Nick. I'd be on an island. I'd be on the, on something like Necker Island. But ah. I wish I wish it was hundreds of millions. Oh, I thought it was hundreds of millions. <laughs> no, not hundreds. Which we can get to that. But right. you know, after you know, after I got off the circus, you got to imagine that I'm 22 years old. I just got done getting paid, you know, six figures, which is a lot at that at that age. Yeah. To travel the country as a rock star, getting in all the teen magazines, getting on MTV. You know, the the female demographic audience throwing themselves at you. Come on, we're rock and roll stars. That's part of the life, right? Yeah, that's what happens, man. You know, so, so the we just reason go, I started a band. Absolutely. So, you know, I got to live that dream for a year at 21 years old. So when I came off of that, dude, I was like thrown. I was literally picked up and thrown against the wall of life. Of, <laughs> okay, you had your fun. <laughs> now... Now the real life is going to begin. So right. welcome I, to reality. Yeah, exactly. Now welcome to reality. So at twenty two, I decide decide to. I was living in California. You know, before that, I moved to. I met a girl, uh, and we were just good friends. But you know, there was a little bit of romance there. But she lived in Alabama, in Birmingham, Alabama. So I wasn't tied to California. I decided I wasn't going to go back to school. So I moved to Birmingham to get kind of started on my next phase of life. And I call that those. Those 10 years from the age of, of 22 to 32, I call it my lost decade. Hmm. I call it the, I have no clue what I want to do in life, but I know I want to be something. Right. And so that, that you know, kind of actually is what fed what I do now. But during that time, I was the quintessential lost kid, but now I'm 23 instead of, uh, or thir- 22 instead of 16, 17. Mm-hmm. I was just starting out, so I got jobs waiting on tables. I, you know, and for the first year, I really still still was thinking I could rest on my laurels and things would be handed to me. Right. I was used to things just kind of coming my way, and so I I would work it. I would sleep till eleven, go play volleyball at the little apartment complex I lived at, and then I'd go to work at four, waiting on tables, and then I'd go out and party and spend all the money I made. You know going out there still trying to schmooze and act like a big shot. Right, right, right. You know, I was I was that quintessential thirty thousand dollar millionaire. Right. Except I except for I didn't even really have the thirty thousand dollars anymore. <laughs> and so it took me a good year of doing that and then and then I you know kind of I had an epiphany and said, wow, you know, I might actually start wanting to develop a career. I was always good at sales. I've always been in some sort of sales job. So I was waiting on tables, then I got uh, job selling business to business, kind of door to door type stuff, and I was just searching for everything. Over the over that next ten years, I tried multi level marketing. I tried um, about ten different get rich quick schemes. You know, back in the day, it was the real estate by the real estate system. It was you know by all kinds of Brian Tracy and all those types of things. There was all kinds of programs that you could buy, and and of course, they're not really meant for you to succeed. They're meant for the person taking your money to succeed. Right, and so I, I, I decided when I was 25 to get into insurance sales. So I started selling life insurance and health insurance, and I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and started down that career path of being an insurance agent. 
hating it all the way, but realizing, you know, I got to get started at something and I need to get dedicated because doing what I was doing was not going to work. Right, right, right. So I got into that at 25 and I was still kind of that person that was on the side trying different things because I always knew I wanted to be a business owner, you know, but it really, it really took me about four or five years of, you know, just kind of sacrifice and discipline to break the, the, the chain that I had for myself of being entitled and thinking that everything was going to be like I was in, when I was in the music business. Right. And so that, that was, that's why I call that decade, my lost decade, because I, I was trying to find myself. And finally in my young thirties, I found myself. So you're, you're what, 32, something like that at the time. So yeah, what happened is, is at 29, when I was still selling insurance, I got, I got hooked up with uh, the situation, which I'm, I'm writing a, my first ebook about because everybody that I talk to on social media these days, they want to know how I came up with the idea for a business. Cause everybody thinks that you, that you develop this and you go to MIT and Harvard and you develop a business and you go out and raise billions of dollars and then you start a company. But you know, so everybody, you know, always wants to know, well, how did you kind of get into what you ultimately ended up starting as a company? So when I was 29, I got involved in a very unique situation. Once again, because of my naivety, I got involved in something I probably shouldn't have got involved in. And, but we ended up doing that business. It was me and two other guys. We ended up doing that business for about three years. And it was a, fa- it, it did end up failing. We ended up having to dissolve the, the LLC. However, that three years, I, I used it as kind of my research. You know, I talk mm-hmm. a lot about that if you're going to get into something, a real legitimate business, you've got to create a plan and you've got to research the market, understand your customers, and really, you know, develop something that is solving a problem or, you know, and, and, and what have you. So that three years that I put into that business, even though ultimately it was a failure, um, that led me to have the, I, the research and the proof of concept of the business that I ultimately ended up started when I was 32 which was 2002, uh, that I ended up, you know, running for about 10 years and, right. and becoming a success. So tell us a little bit about the company. The company's called Uniguest, right? Yeah, the company's called Uniguest. It's still in existence. I ended up selling, you know, we ended up, I ended up selling it in 2013. So I started the company. It was a, a typical entrepreneur story of starting a company around the dining room table, you know, just an idea with no money, you know, just kind of like a lean startup. Mm-hmm. And basically the concept of it is if you've stayed at a hotel, which, which most of us have stayed at a hotel these days, these hotels have computers in the lobby and the business center that you can use to check your email, print things out, uh, look for different restaurants, maybe print your boarding pass out and all those types of things. Right. So that was my idea. So back in 2002, I, I was living in Memphis and I went to a hotel down the street and I said, hey, I want to put a computer in your lobby so that people can access the internet, would you uh, be interested in it? And they were like, well, you know, how much does it cost? And at this time, you know, the business model hadn't even been proven. So I said, well, I'm going to give it to you for free just because I want to prove out the concept. And the way that I'm going to make money is you don't have a restaurant. There's a lot of restaurants in the U.S. that don't have – or a lot of hotels that don't have restaurants. Right. They're, called, they're called limited service hotels. So I went to this limited service hotel and I said, hey, you don't have a restaurant. So every time – I said, so your guests will go to the front desk and say, where should I go eat? What do you recommend? And so I say, well, whenever that happens, I want you to send them over to my computer because I'm going to create a website on the computer that comes up as soon as somebody walks up to it, and it's going to have 12 different restaurants for people to go visit that are around the hotel. And I'm going to go sell those, sell that space to restaurants down the street. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, so it's not going to cost me anything. And I'm like, nope. He's like, okay, deal. Let's do it. So I installed the computer, went to different restaurants, sold, that, sold the ads that were on that, that user interface, and that was the beginning of Uniguest. 
was that the the whole concept or I'm sure you guys branched out into other things, right? Well, that was the original concept. So what right. happened is, is, you know, being that I was still young, you know, a 32 young and building the company and didn't have any money, I basically took, you know, all the money that I was making, putting it right back into more computers to put into more hotels. And then, you know, as the nature of business happens, you know, I started networking in, in the local area of Memphis and I met another company of an entrepreneur that had a, had a, had a company selling advertising into a hotel, but he was putting it into uh, the guest room directory that goes into the guest room. They have these three ring right. binders in a guest room and he was selling advertising in those. So I said, Hey man, you should sell the advertising on my computers. I'll go install the computers. You sell the advertising. We got a partnership made in heaven. And he's like, well, Sean, I don't really believe in your business. I don't think these computers are going to last you know, in hotels, you know, we were laughing now, right? right. Um, but he says, you know, what I would do is this. He says, I know the advertising market. I would change your business model. I'd start selling it to hotels and then telling them to pay you an annual subscription fee to keep the computer up and running because computers fail. So I actually took his advice. I was humble enough. I, res I respected this guy enough because he had a multi-million dollar business selling into an industry that I was trying to get into. So I took right. his advice and I stopped selling advertising. I changed the business model to selling the computer to the hotel and then charging them an annual maintenance fee for them to call when it broke down. Hmm. And so that's the new business model that ended up being what's still in existence today. So I ended up selling selling to hotels one-on-one, -on -one, and then eventually, as the nature of the hotel industry is, as a franchise industry, they have some of these big, just like McDonald's, 7-Eleven, all these other companies, there are, there are franchisees that go out there and have multiple locations. So I started learning how to sell to one locate one management company or ownership group that had 10, 20, 30, or even 200 hotels. Sure. And then ultimately, as the name and the product got out there, then I started to deal with, it started to make its way up to the franchisors like Marriott and Hilton and what have you. And I ended up scoring some major contracts for national and even, even, even in 2010, uh, we ended up scoring a, an international deal with Hilton Hotels for every single one of their hotels in the world across every brand. And wow. ultimately, that deal solidified the company as a, as for, to having longevity. And that was the catalyst that allowed us to put together an investment package. And we ended up selling the company to a private equity group in 2013. So was that the goal to sell it or did you not have that idea in the beginning? You know, I was so broke when I started that my, my whole goal in the beginning was if I can create a company and be self-employed and own a business that I can make 150 grand a year. That was always my goal. I just want to be able to make 150 grand a year. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it took about four or five years to get to that point where I was making about 150 grand a year. Um, you know, but then the company really took off. And by the time we sold it, we were doing over $20 million in revenue and, you know, in, in every single state and 26 countries. And, and then as, as it got bigger, you know, you then start to analyze what, what you're look what you're looking to do with the company, um, and you know what you want to do with it next. And being that I was a founder entrepreneur, I wasn't you know I'd never run a twenty five fifty hundred million dollar type of company. Uh, the company starts to have needs, different needs as a, from a CEO than the skill set that I had. Right. So me and my business partner started talking about it, and we were like, you know what? I think we've taken this about as far as we can, and the company really has the ability to take off and be a fifty million dollar company. Um, but you know what? We can probably sell it right now, get a nice check part ways because we were, we were having some partnership issues. Um, but we could probably make enough money to get a big enough check to be financially independent for the rest of our lives and then go start something else or do whatever we want to do in life. So we made the decision to go ahead and 
start putting up the putting up the company for sale. We sold the company. It was indeed a big enough check to be financially independent. And so then I took a few years off actually and didn't work. Just kind of got uh, acclimated to being a quote unquote you know multimillionaire mm-hmm. and learning that lifestyle, learning about taxes and and all the shit that goes along with it. And <laughs> and then you know after you know after that three years off, I finally uh, this year in March I said you know what. It's time to get back into doing something. I've always wanted to give back. I've always wanted to do some mentoring. I've, I've always wanted to get into philanthropy, and that's how I started Ask a Millionaire. That's awesome, man. That's a that's a that's an American dream story right there, my friend. <laughs> you know, these these days, man. I I just got to I got to comment on that. Is that's a it's these days it's a it's a global dream. It's it's not even yeah. an American dream anymore. It's entrepreneurship globally is. A, it's not even something that's a desire and dream these days. It's it's a, a legitimate movement, and oh yeah. So these days, it it is it's truly an American dream. But now that I'm working with and exposed to people globally through social media in this new Ask a Millionaire brand, I'm starting to realize that there are kids, young kids, all over the world in every country that have the same dreams we have as the, the quote unquote American dream. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. And there's a couple of things that I want to point out from the story that you just told. One is the humility and the self-awareness to say, you know what, this, this business is outgrowing me. And rather than, because if your ego got in the way of that, you could, that could have changed the whole direction of your life. You could have ran the business into the ground. You know, who knows what could have happened. So humble, you know, being humble and, and having that humility, I think, is something that that definitely worked in your favor. Yeah, it's like anything in, in any career and any business and especially in the entertainment business. What I've learned is, is to be the best at what you're the best at and then don't try to be everything, even if it's your own business or your own career. So, you know, especially a lot of my artist friends, since I know a lot of your 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 audience are in the entertainment business. I know a lot of fantastic, amazing artists that you know they get in their own way by by holding it too close the business side and the money side of the business, and mm-hmm. they get a little there. It's the, it's either fear or greed. Fear and greed are two of the most powerful emotions in life when it comes to business and just money. Fear and greed, mm-hmm. and so. It's a little bit fear and it's a little bit greed holding on to it. And some of the people that I have advised that have been humble enough to say, you know what? I am meeting the definition of insanity. I've been trying to do the same thing over and over and over and I'm not getting anywhere. So maybe I need to step outside when I'm trying and try something different. And so I've convinced a couple of my friends and a couple of people that have come to me for uh, coaching and what have you to release that power and get a manager, release that power and get an agent who knows how to go out there and negotiate and feature the talent in order to monetize it. Right. And with social media, as you know, with social media and some of the things coming out these days, it is easier than ever as an artist to start monetizing your brand and monetizing your talent. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I think is important, whether it's a career or as an entrepreneur or an artist as an entrepreneur is recognize what you're amazing at and stick to that and then surround surround yourself around people that can get it exposed out to the world get get it get that word spread and let them help you and you can go a lot farther together than you will alone 
I totally agree. And, you know, I, I frequently teach webinars on the changing industry or the changing music industry. The landscape is completely different than it used to be. So now all the power is in the artist's hands. You don't have to you don't have to sign a record deal. You don't have to, you know, have be on um, some big some big touring um, company or, you know, with a with a huge agent or, or something like that. If you have the power to do it or, and, and you do it correctly, you can do all this stuff yourself. Um, rather than, rather than going right to the label and saying, okay, do this all for me. But at the same time, I agree with you. If you're putting so much time into creating the art and you're not doing the stuff on social media that you need to be, and you're not making the business connections that you need to be, then sure, go get a manager, get somebody, but the, the ball's still in your court. Even though a manager's doing it for you, you don't have to side with a record label and things like that. I mean, those days are over of needing a record label or anything like that. It's the entrepreneurial uh, movement in, in the entertainment business as well. Yeah. I, I am anxious to see what the movement is of whether or not an independent artist can reach the high level caliber that the weight and strength of a big brand like, you know, Interscope records or, or, you know, a big record label can bring to the table as far as touring and, and right. monetizing it on an entirely different level. Hey, Jay-Z did and, it by himself. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm well. You know, there's there's always there's always one or two, but I'm right. anxious to see if there's going to be a platform that will allow these independent artists to make the type of money that these that these high level people that are that are sponsored and 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 by the big labels because I think it would be amazing, and I think that with technology, it's only going to get easier to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I want to make some comparisons with entrepreneurs that you work with entrepreneurs that I mean, you're an entrepreneur, you work with entrepreneurs. And as we stated earlier, business or uh, musicians are entrepreneurs as well. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see that people make not necessarily as musicians, but just as as an entrepreneur as a whole, um, and in, in running their business and the things that they're doing day to day? Well, the biggest is, is they don't they don't ask for help. The number one is they, they just don't ask for help. And it, and it isn't always because of ego that they don't want to ask for help. It's you know, like myself, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have even the understanding or knowledge that you could pay somebody, you know, that was a seasoned serial entrepreneur that you could actually pay someone and say, Hey, can you come in and guide me so that I'm, so that I eliminate mistakes that would be made if you didn't help me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I like to compare, compare to, you know, uh, we talked earlier about that I've got an ebook coming out about naivety made me a millionaire. That's what it's called. Naivety made me a millionaire. And so what I, what I try to explain to especially new entrepreneurs that are, that are just getting into it or, or trying to go from, say, self-employed to business owner, which I look at a lot of artists, independent artists especially, as self-employed. They're just freelancers and they, they exchange you know, time for money, mm-hmm. you know, their talent, their time for money. It's not a legitimate business where they've got employees and they're, and they're delegating and they're, and they just come in as the talent and do the job, but somebody else is out there selling, marketing, making the money, all that. And so what I'd say is if you could balance the naivety, uh, in your life as a, as a young person or a new entrepreneur with the wisdom and experience of somebody that is more seasoned in, in business, Mm-hmm. that you that you can make a great team and the relationship between the two and the correlation is is that with the right type of advisor and, or mentor if you can find somebody that would be willing to do it for free uh is uh, the right mentor and advisor is going to do nothing but find a way to elevate you and not stifle you 
Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of advisors that kind of try to live vicariously through their clients and make their decisions for them. And, and my style is more, hey, anything is possible. Here is all the information you need to know. But ultimately, you got to trust your gut. And sometimes your naivety in the situation is going to allow somebody to go walk on the moon someday. Right. And so, you know, find somebody that can help you during that process. Pay them if you have to. And it's the best investment you'll ever get. I'd rather somebody pay a great advisor $100 then go out and buy four or five books for $100 because that hour or two hours that you could spend with somebody that's been there and done it, you're going to learn that much more. It's like a lot of musicians I know. If I could talk to XYZ musician and say, what would you do with your career? And I had two hours of their time, that would be worth way more than going reading five or six books. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's funny because I've learned the most from you know, in my music career, I've learned the most just from hanging with other musicians who are operating at a higher level than I am. And some of them, you know, mentors, some of them I paid for for physical drum lessons, but it ended up just being a hang and me learning from them. And now I get to talk to all of these people. You know, I've done over 125 interviews. I get so much knowledge just from talking to somebody and bouncing ideas off them. And it's amazing. And and like you said, I could read every single one of the people. Every If every single person I interviewed had a book and I read all of their books, I still wouldn't get the amount of value out of it that I did to talking to them one on one and actually interacting with them. It's an amazing thing. Absolutely. And the thing is, is as you know, since as after interviewing so many people, they're all just normal, normal people. They're normal guys and girls that they have their own hangups, their own hookups. They're just normal, everyday people. But you can really, when you get around somebody who has learned to elevate and be part of that elite status of whatever they do in their career, it's you can you can feel the energy of their mindset of knowing there are certain things not to waste your time on in life. And certain things that you do prioritize and focus on, right. and they they all do a great job of it. And whether that is innate in their character or their or their gut or learned, it is something that they all possess. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 why I think that personal time face to face with somebody who's been there and done that far outweighs what you're going to learn in a book. So yeah. you, 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 I'm sure you know that really well. I totally agree. One thing that you did mention is about the focus and, and it reminds me of the focus and, and the hard work. And you preach about this all the time. And I'm 100% there with you, man. Like I grew up in the restaurant business since or my entire life. So my dad has worked, you know, 12 hours a day for the, you know, for the last 30 years and I get hard work. And I love the fact that you preach that so much rather than like, hanging this little thing in front of people and saying, Hey, you know, uh, call me, I'll make you a millionaire kind of thing. It's like, no, you have to work 12, 15, 18 hours a day for 10 years. If you want to do what I did. And and I love that. I love that real approach. And so I I just want to, I want to talk about that a little bit because I I think a lot of people are, are faking the funk when they talk about how much they're working. Yeah, absolutely. And and here's the thing. It's, it's, there's a, there's an article that I talked about today on one of my periscopes and it was about the six harsh truths. And basically, it's a thing of, you know, you get an exchange of value of services and you get paid what you're worth in this in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, some people do get paid a little more than they're probably worth, but they knew enough how to put themselves in the position to get paid that. Right. And so it's not always necessarily about the number of hours or the, the hard, you know, nature of, of your work. It's that if you really want to get somewhere and you really want to get ahead, you got to start somewhere. 
And you're not going to start by sitting there thinking about it or watching other people do it or thinking that you're going to skip steps A, B, C, D, and E, and F. It just just doesn't exist. And people – I get so many people that want to send me questions that say, can you give me the three best of this, the three best industries, the three best books, the three best traits, the three best this? Or can you tell me the number one thing that I need to do? And it's like, dude, (laughs) there is no number. It's like if you go ask 40 chefs how to make the best pizza – they're going to give you 40 different answers. Uh, right. So the great so you have to look at that as the great thing in life that wow, I get to go out there and create my own recipe for success. I get all the same tools and all the same ingredients that everybody else gets and I get to write my own story. So in the beginning, you're you're going to immediately step out and step A into the sacrifice years. So you might mm-hmm. not have much skill. You know, you don't have the same skill as somebody coming out of Harvard or MIT you know, as an engineer to go up to Silicon Valley and start creating a Facebook, you know, so you don't have the same skill set level. So your A is going to be a different level A, but they're still starting out too. Right. So you start off with A and you just get busy. So you start creating some sort of income. So if, if your skill level is a $10 an hour skill level, then you go work 40, 60, 80, 100 hours and you spend less than you make and you start saving and you keep increasing your skill set. Then you start going from that $10 an hour job to the 15, to the 20, to the 30. And then pretty soon over time, with a combination of increasing your wages and building up your savings account, one day you're going to wake up, whether it's two years later, three years later, you're going to have $50,000 in the bank and debt free. And then the world's, the, the world's your oyster. The sky's right. the limit. Because now you can virtually get into any type of bi- small business and start putting yourself into business ownership, which is what can really create wealth. Mm-hmm. So that's those are the hard work years and the sacrifice years that most people don't realize. They think, I got to study, study, read, 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 and watch instead of just going out there and earning money, spending less than they earn, increasing their wages, and then one day they wake up and bam, I've got some money in the bank and now I can do something. Right. I compare it to if you go see a band and you're watching, you know, for my audience, we're watching the drummer play and he's amazing. You know, it's it's the most amazing drummer they've ever seen. It's like, well, that didn't just happen yesterday. They didn't just they didn't sit down behind the drum kit for an hour yesterday before the concert and play. And now they're the shit. I mean, they you know, there's 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of of hard work that you're not seeing and you're 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 seeing the tip of the iceberg and that's the same thing with anybody who's doing anything unless it's all smoke and mirrors and it's all you know it's all a ruse but a, anybody who's achieving at that at that high level whether it be you know financially or they're they're touring all over the world playing or whatever whatever it may be man there is definitely some some hard work and sacrifice behind uh behind those doors oh absolutely i mean there's it's, it's not like i mean there are some prodigy people in the world of course but Sure. By and large, the 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 extremely talented artist, whatever instrument, you know, drums or even singing for that matter, it's it, you're putting in the practice and the time, and so it, it's uh, that's a great comparison. There's no doubt that you have got to put in those years of practice because it's not even the ability. Because think about that drummer that's p- playing Madison Square Garden. Finally, they better not mess up. Right. <laughs> you know, so, right. so it's it's all the practice and all the concerts and all the bars they played and all the you know all of the shitholes of the world that they played that finally led them up to those days that when they get put in front of that amazing audience that they're like they just crush it right and, and oh man what a great feeling right yeah absolutely I don't know, I never played at Madison Square Garden though I mean I played at crowds that big but never at MSG so still so I still got to check that off my bucket list so dude it's amazing when we played Madison Square Garden the big song at the time was remember that. 
remember that, that little kid group crisscross hell know? yeah Chris, crisscross will make you jump yeah. jump yeah. so we played we played and they actually came out after the show and performed that show immediately after so sold out crowd them playing that we were we were right there uh, kind of down with them and they're singing jump jump in the entire arena of madison square garden everybody is jumping nice it, electrical it was so crazy nice and they had their <laughs> they had their clothes on backwards and everything oh yeah the, the little uh what is it the overall the jumpers yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly nice i don't i don't know where to go now from from a from a crisscross <laughs> story so um but sean i want to thank you for for taking all the time to chat with me today man i know that your time is valuable and i appreciate what you do i appreciate all the stuff that you're doing online and and helping people and giving back and so if the audience wants to learn more about you wants to follow you connect with you where's the best place to find you so the best place to find me is just go to my website seanthomas.com s-h-a-w-n seanthomas.com through there they can find out all my different different social media channels, whether it's Facebook, uh, Pinterest, Periscope, Instagram. You know, all of them are, are right there. I've got a blog on my website, of uh, my bio with that has links to my company and the things that I've done are all right there on my website. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. And if you could impart one piece of wisdom to the listeners, what would it be? If I could part impart one piece of wisdom, you know what it'd be is just freaking realize that the only person that matters and and your success is yourself. So to not compare yourself and just accept you for who you are. When you when you start to elevate the frequency of the life that you live, the sooner you do that in life and really realize that you can just be happy with who you are and that it's not compared to anybody else, then everything else follows. Whether it's money, whether it's your level of success, your definition of success, I see that time and time again with the hundreds of thousands of followers that that reach out to me, the biggest issue is people just not being happy with who they are because of whether it's their parents' limitations or society's limitations. The people that have elevated to a new frequency of just accepting themselves of who they are, they end up contributing the most to the world. I think that's a great piece of advice, man. Sean, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's try to connect soon. Thank you too, man. I appreciate it. Good deal. So there you have it, Sean Thomas. And if you want to connect with him and, and get all the links that we talked about, go to drummersresource.com forward slash session one, three, six, or you can connect with Sean directly at seanthomas.com. If you're digging the podcast, please, please, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on iTunes. It'll take you one minute. And what that does is it helps the podcast get higher in the ratings. It helps other people find out about the podcast. So it gets more eyes and more ears on the podcast. And I would just sincerely appreciate it. So head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review if you're digging the podcast and check me out. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really, 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 really appreciate it. Love you. Mean it. Talk to you soon. Peace.